Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. The first reading this morning comes from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, and it sets the part of the story of the children of Israel as they prepare to return from captivity into the land of promise. In the month of Nisan, in the twelfth year of King Azarexes, when wine was served him, I carried the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you were not sick? This can only be sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my ancestors' graves, lies waste and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to God of heaven. Then I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my ancestors' graves, so that I may rebuild it. The king said to me, the queen also was sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a date. Then I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may grant me passage until I arrive in Judah, and a letter to Asphab, the keeper of the king's forest, directing me to give timber to make beams for the gates of the temple forest fortress and to, for the wall of the city and for the house that I should occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the gracious hand of my God was upon me. Then I called to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had set, sent officers of the army in cavalry with me. The word of the Lord. Our second lesson comes from Acts chapter 9, picking up in the second part of verse 19. And listen now to the Word of God. Paul has had his encounter on the road to Damascus, and I'll unpack that in the message. And he is beginning his life in this new, new place. For several days, Paul was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, is, th is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked his name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah." After some time had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, 
but their plot became known to Saul. And they were watching the gates day and night so that they might kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and described for them how on the road he had seen the Lord who had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and argued with the Hellenists, but they were attempting to kill him. And when the believers learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. And meanwhile, the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and was built up, living in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What have I become? Now what is my purpose? How often have you asked that question of yourself? In large ways and small ways, we ask that question, I think, on a regular basis. For planning purposes, I divide my year into three four-month blocks. And so, about three times a year, going into the next quadrant, I'm asking myself, okay, what have I now? What is my purpose in these days going ahead during this block of time? What has my past been like? We also ask these kinds of questions at certain landmark transitions. Uh, The beginning of every school year, I think a child basically is asking that question, I'm now a fifth grader, or I'm now a seventh grader. Uh, What is my purpose? Maybe not that deep and philosophical, but essentially it's being asked. We're coming up to that trio of great events, Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. As we look past, as we look at our present, and as we look to our future, that is a time when we ask, what have I become And what is my purpose going forward? Birthdays, anniversaries, uh, transition points uh, in jobs. uh, These are points when we ask that question of the loss of a parent, the loss of a significant friendship. At different stages of the road in marriage and in parenthood, we find ourselves asking that question. Once speaking to a group, of people of a certain age. I talked about the tasks of parenthood, and I said, what it takes to be a good parent of a three-year-old is different than what it takes to be a parent of a 13-year-old. And it changes again for 23, and it changes again at 33. They're different stages, the same in a marriage, whether you look at the seven-year cycles and uh, whatever. There are different stages there. What have I become And what is my purpose now? This summer, I was listening to a podcast, and there were two women being interviewed, and both were talking about navigating the empty nest. Now, that was a very specific section, situation, but to what they spoke, I thought could be applied to many situations. Both women had had more than two children. The numbers don't really matter, but I know one of them that from the moment she had her first child until the last child went off to college, was 28 years. 
there was between the oldest and youngest, a 10-year age span. And so for a period of time, though it had changed, again, as one by one, those oldest children had launched and out. Of course, things had changed. But now uh, the last child was out of the house. And again, she said she took a season to ask herself a series of questions, and two of them happened to be, what have I become, and what is my purpose now? I read about a study once done of a group of women who were at an empty nest stage of life, and it was kind of gloomy. I mean, they were not in the best psychological health asking those kinds of questions, and then a follow-up was done 15 years later. Well, 15 years later, they were happy. They had come up with a plan over those years. They had developed a plan for themselves. Hard questions, been down in the dumps, but they had had a plan for themselves. And uh, sometimes they'd gone back and gotten more training, taken a new job. Oh, they had made some transitions. Uh, One had committed herself to travel in, in her block of time. Very happy. They're all, I mean, they're all happy. The researchers said the second go round, let's talk to the husbands, just see what their lives are like. And these men were approaching retirement, had just retired or was only a couple of years away. And when they looked at the results, well, to quote Yogi Berra, it was deja vu all over again. They were just like their wives 15 years before. They were down in the dumps. What am I going to do? I I don't have this office to go to every day. Who am I? What am I if I'm not my desk kind of thing? They had their own work cut out for them. As they asked themselves, what have I become? Now what is my purpose? Now having given you that kind of introduction and two very different stories uh, from Scripture going to probably wondering, now where are you going to go with all of this? Well, I want to look at those two lives of individuals we've covered, Paul and Nehemiah, and then say how this intersects with us, how God is using that to intersect with us in this church. I want to begin with the story of Saul, later called Paul, and for consistency, I'm going to say Paul throughout all of this, though actually in the stage he is still known as, as Saul. When we first meet Paul in Acts, he is an accomplished rabbi. He had been taught by the best of the best, Gamaliel, a great leader who's actually recorded speaking elsewhere in Acts. He was a top gun rabbi. If there was a magazine and had the hot five under 40, Paul would have been one of those hot five under 40. Back in his hometown, I'm sure his parents heard that saying, That boy is going to go far. He's on the fast track to success, but he's also one cussed, angry guy. He is going to root out this false teaching about Jesus if if it gets the best of him. He's got letters. Well, eventually he's going to have letters, but through Jerusalem, he goes through, he gets people arrested. Stephen speaks out for Jesus, and he is stoned. He is stoned. You know, sent out, and they stone him, and Paul is there holding the cloaks, and he is cheering on those that are stoning. I mean, he's sitting there going, rah, rah, sis, boom, ba, as the stones go. And he's off to Damascus, ready to wreak havoc. He's got letters of introduction. He's going to make things happen. 
As he goes on his donkey, he is knocked off. He hears the Lord saying, why are you persecuting me? And there he has his conversion. Temporarily, he loses his sight. He's directed to a place to go, to a street called Straight, to the home of Ananias. And there he goes. And there he will stay for a season. Now, for a time, he goes out to an area he calls Arabia. That's the region just outside of the settled areas of of modern-day Syria. He goes out there. But essentially... He stays about three years in Damascus. We have the material from Acts and then things that he shares in the letter to the Galatians. And scholars have kind of put together this timeline. For about three years, he is in Damascus. He becomes a leader in the church there, but over time he gets in trouble. And that's a pattern that's going to repeat itself throughout his life. The local leadership of the synagogue want to get rid of him and so his followers sneak him out of the city. It's kind of a clever sort of way. You know, folks are watching the gates. When's he going to slip out? Well, houses are built into the walls, and he is lowered out through one of the windows. He sneaks out the back door, and off he goes to Jerusalem. Now, the people there fear him, as really based on past experience, they should And he is shunned, but then Barnabas extends that right hand to fellowship. And he speaks up for him and says, no, he really is a changed man. Paul has limited contact with the leadership, but he immediately goes to preach to the Hellenists, his people. Paul is a Hellenist. And what is that? It is someone who is Jewish, who fully embraces, acknowledges their faith, but also very comfortably lives in a Greek-speaking, Greek-influenced culture that could be found throughout that part of the world, really from Greece and the Balkans um, all the way um, where Alexander had conquered. There's even a city in modern-day Afghanistan that was founded um, by Alexander's troops and at one time was a Greek city located there, influenced throughout the empire. The kind of culture that no matter what city you found yourself, You could go to a play, you knew the language, you knew the script, you went there anyway. Paul is very comfortable in this cosmopolitan culture. And these are his people, his his folks. And he goes and he speaks to them and they want to kill him. Again, he is in trouble. And so the believers there get him out from a port city of Caesarea and send him off to his hometown to Tarsus which is a modern-day Turkey, the southern coast. And there he goes. He's had training as a tent maker. We assume he made a lot of tents. And there he is. And that's where we leave him in our scriptures. There are other adventures that take place in the early church. And then in Acts 11.25, Paul reappears. Paul, um, in the city of Antioch, A church has begun there. And this was founded by men who were taught by the disciples. This is not a first-generation church. Really, the second generation is going and starting a church. This is new. This is different. Those from Jerusalem go up to Antioch. They investigate. Hellenists are being reached. They think this is a great thing. But we need somebody to work with us. And Barnabas then goes to Tarsus. And he brings Paul, and they come to Antioch. And they stay there about a year, 
And then from the church there, they go out on the first missionary journey. Now, see, in the book of Acts, stories are told and then time passes. You go to a movie, if time passes, you usually have that thing at the bottom of the screen that says, you know, five years later, ten years later. Or you have a scene that looks at the calendar. It tells you what year it is in the next scene. We don't have that in Acts. And the scholars have gone back and pieced this together. Twelve years have passed since Paul left from Jerusalem area to Tarsus in defeat. And now he's called, recalled, and gone to Antioch. This is about 15 years since his experience on the road to Damascus. Imagine yourself and thinking where you are now and where your life was 15 years ago, wherever it was, and all that has happened since then. The missionary journeys begin and in due course, and then Paul is writing his first letter. It's placed about 49 AD, um, and then he writes maybe to the mid-60s. So about 17 years pass in which he writes these various letters. And again, this is 18 to 20 years after his conversion. Or maybe like that sweet spot of 19 years. So again, think of your life in 19 years. And then you start writing about things. So again, time has passed. Paul has had many stages and adventures as he goes out on that first journey. Trained as a tent maker, he's been a successful rabbi, an outcast, a leader, a tent maker, then back to Antioch. Many things have happened. And there's many things that he brings to the table with his story. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knows his scriptures. He knows his history as a Hebrew. But he's a Hellenist. Greek was probably the language that he first spoke at home. That was how he first learned the scriptures. And he probably knew the Odyssey and the Iliad as well as he knew the story of Abraham and Joseph. And he was born a Roman citizen. Not even somebody who said, yeah, I had to buy it to get it. No, he is born. That will give him confidence in the world. That will give him savoir-faire of knowing where to go. And it will open doors for him that it would not, doors that will not open for Peter and others because he holds the golden ticket. I'm a Roman citizen. He is comfortable in that world as well. And with all of that together, he is able to go out into the Roman Empire and share the news. And then we have Nehemiah. Now again, to set the stage, I'm going to do a quick history overview. You've got Abraham, who is called to go to the promised land, and he does, and generations follow. And then a group, then the group, they all go down to Egypt. And then it's all good, and then it's all bad. And Moses leads them out in the Exodus. There's a time of wandering in the wilderness. Moses died. Joshua's in charge. They go into the promised land. It's a season of the judges. They're a loose confederation. And then they want a king. And so they get a king. Saul and then David and then Solomon. In about 922, the kingdom is split. Israel and Judah. 722, Assyria conquers uh, the northern kingdom. Assyria based in modern-day Iraq. 580, Babylon, they're the new kids on the block, 
and they have surpassed the old Assyrian empire and conquered them, and then they conquered Judah. Now, Assyria scattered the people that they conquered, while the um, Babylonians basically took a large group and plunked them down in Babylon. And there the culture, the people, is kept together as a group in exile. And then the Persian Empire conquers Babylon. Basically, Iran beats up on Iraq. And that pattern continues even to this day. Those two countries still got issues with each other, but that's another story. And this one, though, this one, Iran's on top. The Persian Empire lets people, conquered people, return to their homelands if they wish. Seventy years have passed, and in several waves, groups go back to, to Jerusalem and the surrounding area. In the chapter right before uh, what we heard, we know of Nehemiah. He is a cupbearer to the king. He is very trusted. The king's got something to drink. Nehemiah drinks it. If he's still living, it goes to the king. So for Nehemiah, every day you wake up alive, it's a good day. He's a trusted, highly trusted courtier. And he has actually grown up in exile. For him, Jerusalem, yes, it's the homeland, but that's where my ancestors lived. In the same way that I can say, well, Allegheny County, North Carolina, well, that's the home county because for generations the Doughtons lived there. Now, my grandpa Downton actually grew up in North Wilkesboro. My father was born in Winston-Salem, and I was born in Charlotte. But I'll admit, it's back in 2011, taking my children back to Allegheny County, I had that sense that we're back home. Let me show you the graves and the places and where my great-great-grandparents lived. In that same way for Nehemiah, though add a few more generations, uh, one or two more generations, that would have been his perspective of Jerusalem. He meets those who have been in Jerusalem, and he says, how's it going? Well, it's not going too good. Jerusalem has no walls. And in a community with no walls, it's completely vulnerable, and it's really nothing at all. And so we have the moment he is sad. He is in the king's presence, said several quick prayers, because you get in trouble being, being sad without the king's permission. From this, he gets the commission. He has this passion to rebuild the walls. He gets the commission to rebuild the walls. He understands how things work. He gets the necessary letters to cover all the bases, financial and political. And there he goes, Nehemiah the courtier, serving at the most prestigious court in the world, one could argue, he goes to Jerusalem as it is at that time. Now, some of you may remember the TV show Green Acres. If you do, you don't have to raise your hand, but you may remember the show and how the Douglases lived on Park Avenue in a penthouse apartment. You know, that's what the wife loved, a penthouse view. Darling, I love you, but give me Park Avenue. Well, they go to Green Acres. They go to this house, and you remember what the house is like in Hootersville. Well, Jerusalem at that point makes, I mean, Green Acres looks like Green Island compared to what Jerusalem was like then. And I wonder if he went back and had that famous line from Betty Davis, what a dump, because that's what it is, basically. It's got to get fixed. 
but his knowledge of how things get done. He's worked with the best of the best in the Persian Empire. With his knowledge of political maneuvering and posturing, he knows when to call a bluff. He knows when to go to plan B. And he gets the job done. And he remains in leadership for a season. What had he become? He had become a successful courtier and government official. He was also a Jew, and he claimed his heritage. This is who I am, and this is now my purpose, to save my home city in the motherland. What have I become, and what is my purpose? Today, I want to speak primarily to us as a church family, but what I'm saying you can apply to your own life because we all have those seasons of transition, both large and small, where we're asking these questions of ourselves. To answer, what have I become? You acknowledge one story. And yes, that looks at the events of 2014 and 2015 and what's gone on in 2016. But it also means looking at 2000 to 2014 It means looking at the ministries and what happened during the ministries of John Bell and Jim Johnson and Lee Willingham and Sid Gates and Rob McNeil and J. Calvin Reed. And it means looking back at the church's history, our inherited history. That is part of the legacy of who we are. Take a tour of the museum (laughs) and maybe even know more of the history of, of Columbus. It's looking at our story. And looking at our assets, what do we have now? What do we have going for us? Where are we lacking? Just being realistic. Assets, challenges. Or as accountants would say, assets and liabilities. Let's look at that. What's our capital? Knowing who we are, where we are now. And from that, we can determine and begin to discern our purpose. What will God have us do now, and what has God for us in the chapter ahead? Now, the good news about that is to start finding your purpose, do right now what you know you need to do. In every call story in Scripture, no matter how dramatic it is, people are doing exactly what they know they need to be doing. Nehemiah is serving in the court. He's, you know, clocking in and doing courtier work. He meets some fellows, and he's talking to them, and from that he gets this sense, oh my gosh, I ought to go back. Moses, for all his dramatic call, at that point he's a shepherd. He's looking after sheep, okay? That's what shepherds do. In the middle of doing his job, he encounters the burning bush where God speaks to him. There are certain things that we know just need to get done. It's part of the job, so do it. You're already on the road to discovering your purpose right there. Do what you know needs to be done. And then begin to ask yourself, about what am I passionate? What gets me excited? What stirs my heart? What need do I see that needs to be filled? And then begin a time of conversation, which is what's going on right now. 
I can't answer all of this in one sermon, but we can be part of this conversation. What are we doing now? Your session, and there's actually a piece about this in the bulletin. I encourage you to look at it after I finish, uh, but I encourage you to look at it. Talks about the session is now working on a mission action plan. Yes, that's another name for the budget, but I think it's a very accurate name. It's not just about numbers and figures. It's about what is our mission? How do we take the action? What is our plan? And each team has been asked to go through and look at the items that you've got and ask, what, why are you doing this? What is the purpose? What is the goal? What is the end game in all of this? As Stewardship and Finance has said, you, you may want to keep everything that you're doing. Keep on doing it. That's perfectly okay. But tell us, why are you doing it? What is the purpose? What's the goal? What's the most important about that? In a few weeks, a pastor nominating committee will be elected by this congregation. And they'll begin their work. My guess is a few organizational meetings in this year and then hit the ground running full steam ahead in 2017. And part of their work is to discuss this is who we are now and what we see our purpose is going. And as they speak to various candidates, again saying our story, your story, do they intersect? And if so, how? We've already done some of this work in that Holy Cow survey stating these are priorities for us now. We are in the midst of asking and examining, what is my purpose and what have I become? What is our purpose and what have we become? And this road will have some interesting turns, and there may be some things that are tried as an experiment, and after it's done, saying, no, that's not the direction we need to go, but hey, we've learned. Well, I think Thomas Edison kept saying every experiment he did for the light bulb was not a failure. It just was a step in the right direction to get him to inventing the light bulb. I mean, simple story like that. It's okay to experiment. It's okay to ask. It's okay to even play, if I dare say that. I suspect that when Paul was in Damascus after his conversion, he thought, well, I burned all my bridges in Jerusalem. Damascus is my home from now on. But then... He had to go to Jerusalem. Oh, I'm back in Jerusalem. Oh, I failed. Okay, <laughs> off to Tarsus. I guess I'm just supposed to be back here for the rest of my life. Oh, I'm supposed to go to Antioch. Okay. Oh, I'm supposed to go on this journey. Uh, and then another missionary journey. I'm supposed to stay here for a short time, here for a long time. All of it leading into his purpose. As I was preparing this, planning and looking at the ideas, I'll admit the words to a rather sappy love song came to mind, but I want to share them with you. It is initially a love song, it's a song, a fellow he's talking about the woman that he has met, but I've actually heard it on Christian radio stations with the perspective of a person finding that, discovering that relationship with God. And it could be for anybody finding their purpose. But hear the words. I set out on a narrow way many years ago, hoping I would find true love along the broken road. But I got lost a time or two, wiped my brow, and kept pushing through. 
I couldn't see how every sign pointed straight to you. Every long-lost dream led me to where you are. Others who broke my heart, they were like northern stars, pointing me on my way into your loving arms. This much I know is true, that God blessed the broken road that led me straight to you. And God is blessing now a broken or curvy road that's leading us to the next chapter. As a church here in this corner in Columbus, Georgia, and is leading each one of you to what your purpose is in the days ahead. By Jesus' strength alone and his grace, amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.